0: Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus. We're going to read from Exodus chapter 12 this morning. Uh, You'll find our reading on pages 53 and 54 of the Blue Pew Bibles. We're reading Exodus 12 verses 1 to 28. And then in a few few moments, we're going to be thinking about these verses together. Uh, At our pre-communion service, we looked at Exodus 5 to 11, jumped a little bit uh, in the story. Uh, We've come now to the Passover uh, and to that great moment of departure for the people of Israel. So Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 to 28, and as we read, we remember that this is God's word to us. can eat you shall make your count for the lamb your lamb shall be without blemish a meal a year old you may take it from the sheep or from the goats and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of israel shall kill their lambs at twilight then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts do, door and the and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it they shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire With unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. That this day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For on this day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For for seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, "'Go and select for yourselves according to your clans "'and kill the Passover lamb. "'Take a bunch of hyssop "'and dip it in the blood that is in the basin "'and touch the lintel and the two doorposts "'with the blood that is in the basin. "'None of you shall go out of the door of his house "'until the morning.' It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this morning. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn back to Exodus chapter 12. You'll find it on pages 53 and 54 of the Pew Bibles. And as you're turning it up, let's pray together for a moment. Father, we do pray that you would help us to be still now. We pray that you would help us to be still and to consider your word We thank you for Jesus and for all that he has done for us. We pray that we would block out any distractions that might be in our minds. We pray that you would help us to focus on you and that you would come close to us by your spirit and help us to understand your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. It was the dead of night Most people were in their homes, asleep. Families all over the country had gone down for the night. They had lived through tumultuous days, days of hardship and difficulty, and they went down for the night unaware that the next day would be the most difficult of all. A visitor came during the night with a deadly purpose. He was a destroyer, the angel of death. The visitor was on a mission from God. He swept across the country, the great country of Egypt, and stopped at every house in Pharaoh's kingdom. It was obvious he was looking for something because as he came to each house, he paused to inspect the doorway. In the land of Goshen, where the Israelites lived, he found what he was looking for. There was a mark of blood on the top and sides of every door. When the visitor saw the blood, he passed over the house, holding back his deadly blow because, because a sacrifice had been made for sin. The family inside had heard that they could be saved by the blood of a lamb and the sign on the door was a public testimony of their, of their faith in God's saving word. The, the, the rest of the houses of Egypt weren't marked with the sign of salvation. As the visitor travelled up the Nile, he came to entire towns and cities where not a single household had offered up a lamb for their sins. The visitor didn't pass by these houses, but slipped inside to claim the life of the firstborn son. The night that started with silence ended in suffering. Exodus 12, 29 and 30 reads, At midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. On Wednesday evening at our pre-communion service, we returned to our series on the book of Exodus. We tried something that I'm not sure worked particularly well. We covered seven chapters, Exodus 5 to 11, in one go, and we skipped over quite a lot of material and detail. The, the, the main section of material that we passed over were nine of the ten plagues. The reason we skipped them is because they teach one main truth. God has power over all things, and we must take him seriously. We, we have missed some of the drama of the story, but we're going to slow down over the next few weeks, and taking the great Exodus, the great departure of God's people from Egypt. The, the, the reason for the jump over so many chapters is so that we land on Exodus 12 this morning. Imagine playing a game of snakes and ladders. We were in Exodus five, and now we're in Exodus 12. We've taken a ladder to get there. We, we've jumped ahead sooner than we expected. You, 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 you would benefit from reading the details and drama of the plagues, What you'll be reminded of is the power of God and of how human leaders like Pharaoh are utterly powerless and weak compared to him. The the chapter that we find ourselves in this morning is the chapter about the Passover. It's a significant event for the formation of Israel's identity and also in terms of the big story of the Bible. But of course, it's also the 10th of 10 plagues. It's the final round, the climax of the great showdown between Moses and Pharaoh. In 12.12, God says, On all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Because of the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, this was always going to be a contest to the death. Exodus 12 is a biblical classic. This weekend, it's the third round of the FA Cup. There's something thrilling about knockout football. You lose and you're out and that's it. This is a knockout chapter. It's a classic final matchup between God and Pharaoh, but there was only ever going to be one winner. The, the question for us this morning is, what, why does it matter? The, the story in front of us is a great story, but why does it matter? Well, what? what relevance does it have to us in Buckna in 2023? It happened and was written down over 3000 years ago. The New Testament is around 2000 years old. This story is even older. What? Well, why does it matter? That's what we're going to try and figure out this morning. We're going to do that through three headings. This morning won't be so much us working through the text verse by verse, as it will be us pulling out the big implications of this passage. Just so you know, headings one and three will be shorter than heading two. Here's our first heading then. Exodus 12 tells us about a new era, a new era. Look at verses one to three. It says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you all. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th month of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. God is speaking to Moses in these verses and in the verses that follow what what he commanded Moses and Israel to do is reorientate their calendars around this new era that has begun with Passover. Verses one to three tell us that Passover creates a new year and a new way of telling time. So for the Jews, their whole calendar changes. The plagues and the exodus are so significant for Israel's identity as an emerging nation that the month they come out of Egypt will become for them the first month of the year. Some people get confused when they read the story of Exodus because they read it and think that it's just the story of of socio-political liberation. It is that, and God does, care for the oppressed. A large chunk of the laws that he will give to Moses are concerned with the treatment of the poor and vulnerable. And throughout history, people have looked at the story of Exodus and drawn inspiration from it. The Protestant reformers, the Puritans, the civil rights movement in America in the mid-20th century, People have looked at the story of Exodus and said, it's an amazing an amazing example of people rising up against an oppressive authority and taking back control. But, but, but it's so much more than that. In verses 1 to 3, it's as though God says to the people of Israel, you are going to look at the world differently after this. You're going to frame your lives around what has happened here. And by that he means view everything differently from a spiritual perspective. All of our headings this morning are going to move us forward to the gospel and to Jesus. What happens to a man or woman or a boy or a girl when they trust in the Lord Jesus for the first time? What does the Bible say they are? Well, the Bible says that they are a new creation. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. In other words, when someone trusts in Jesus, they are part of the new era that Jesus has ushered in. A Christian looks at the world differently. A Christian looks at the world and says, I am not going to live by the standards and values and ideals that you say that I should live by. And you know what? What's on offer here isn't as good as what's on offer with Jesus. A Christian looks at others differently too. A Christian looks at others and says, I'm going to serve you instead of serving myself I am going to show mercy and kindness to you, even though you're not like me. And a Christian looks at themselves differently. A Christian looks at themselves and says, I am on this ball of rock for a limited period of time. And what I do with my one God-given life actually matters. Therefore, I will serve him. I will tell others about him. And I will love him with all of my heart. Exodus 12 tells us, about a new era for Israel. And it points us to the new era era that Jesus has brought if we know him. Heading one, a new era. Heading two, a particular substitution. Now, the one criticism I have of this sermon, the one that I'm going to give you anyway, because there's more than one, the one criticism is that the headings aren't that memorable. And that's, I think, fair enough. But, but particular substitution. Well, what are we talking about now? Well, Exodus 12 shows us That the substitution of the lamb is given for a particular people. It's a lamb per household. So look at verses 3 and 4. It says, Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their fathers' houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbour shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each, can, what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. The, the, the thing to notice from these verses is that the sacrificial lamb wasn't given for everyone. It was only given to those families identifying themselves as God's people. That was reflected in our introduction. When compared with the houses of Israel, the rest of the houses of Egypt weren't marked with the sign of salvation. As the visitor, the angel of death, travelled up the Nile, he came to entire towns and cities where not a single household had offered a lamb for their sins. This story is more than a socio-political liberation because of what comes in between the announcement of the plague in Exodus 11 and it actually taking place in Exodus 12, 29-32. In between, God gives Moses instructions that will exempt the Israelites from the plague of death And Moses passes them on. Glance down at verses three to six. Every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a meal, a year old. The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Once the people have done that, then the blood is to be, verse seven, daubed on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They have to use a bunch of hyssop to wipe it round the frame, and then that same night, they have to eat the meat roasted over the fire. The Lord says that he will pass through Egypt, bringing death to every firstborn creature. But, verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The, the feast will be called Passover because the judgment of God is going to pass over his people. They're also to make bread without yeast and eat eat the lamb dressed to depart as a sign of their faith that God will liberate them before the night is out. This is the point though. The Israelites deserve the judgment of death just as much as the Egyptians do. If this was simply the story of socio-political liberation, then Israel would be the innocent victims. They wouldn't need to fear judgment. But the truth is, they were sinners who deserved death. The Israelites had to daub the blood on the, po- on the doorposts because they were as guilty as the Egyptians. They needed a substitute to die in their place to avoid the judgment of death. The, the, the blood is daubed around the doors, not because God can't tell who's inside the house, but because he can. He knows there are sinners inside. In every home throughout Egypt and Goshen, the death count is the same. The following morning, there's a corpse. The only question is, is it a lamb or is it a child? Who has died? The lamb is a substitute for the child. If the blood was simply marking out Israelite houses, then red paint would have done the job. But the blood is a sign that a sacrifice has been made, that a substitute has been offered. Exodus 12 speaks of particular substitution, The substitution was particular and definite. That is, specific people were really delivered through the death of a spotless lamb. Now, if you can't fast forward to the New Testament and see and understand how this works itself out, then something's wrong. One of the things we say regularly in church is that Jesus died as our substitute. He took our place so that we might go free. Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross was particular and definite. He laid down his life and shed his blood for his people, the church. Jesus himself says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Sometimes people use very loose theological language and say things like, Jesus died for everyone. He did, but the Bible puts it in a slightly more nuanced way. On the one hand, the Bible tells us that Jesus' death on the cross is sufficient for all those who believe in him. If a sinner, anyone, anywhere, turns to Christ, they will be saved. That's what the Bible teaches. But on the other hand, the Bible also tells us that Jesus' death on the cross is effective for some. It's sufficient for all, but it's effective for some. We are not universalists. We don't believe that everyone will be saved in the end we believe that God is saving a specific people that he has chosen, chosen in the depths of eternity for himself and for his own glory. E- Exodus 12 and the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us the story of particular substitution. It's hard to get our heads around parts of it, especially the bit about some people being saved and others not. How is that fair? But that needs to be balanced with the truth that none of us deserve grace. None of us deserve mercy, yet for his own glory, God has saved us and brought us to himself. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, know that it's not because of anything you have done. How could it be? If you're a Christian, you've been rescued by the particular and definite substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross. You deserve death as much as the next person, but you've been rescued. You've been rescued By the Lamb of God. The sacrifice of the Lamb in Exodus leads to unfinished business. After all, a Lamb is not a fair exchange for a human life. The Lamb in Exodus 12 is simply a pointer. The Passover is a sign of the great act of redemption. Over a thousand years later, with this unfinished business still waiting to be resolved, John the Baptist sees Jesus and what does he say? He says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. A few years after that, the Apostle Peter wrote, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And Paul describes Christ as our Passover lamb in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7. Jesus is our Passover lamb. He was sacrificed as our substitute. We all deserve to die because of our rebellion against God, but Jesus has died in our place. His blood, as it were, is daubed over our lives so that God will pass over us when he comes in judgment. If you're a Christian, you've been rescued by the particular and definite substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross. You deserve death as much as the next person. But you've been rescued. You've been rescued by the Lamb of God. If that's the case this morning, th- th- there should be a deep sense of thankfulness in your soul. Exodus 12 tells us about a new era, a particular substitution, and thirdly, a new festival. You could put it like this Exodus 12 tells us about a new era that comes through a particular substitution that leads to a new festival. Well, what, what's the new festival? Well, for the people of God in this chapter, it's the Passover. Strictly speaking, there was only one Passover day, only one day of judgment and salvation. But the Passover festival was to serve as a memorial in which God's people would rem- would remember the day judgment and salvation came. So you see that in verse 14. God says, "This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever." You shall keep it as a feast. Surrounding this remembrance is the week long feast of unleavened bread. It's mentioned in detail in verses 15 to 20 and then also in Exodus 13 3 to 10. We're going to come to it in a few weeks' time, but the two festivals become very important for Israel in terms of their identity. The Passover commemorated their liberation from death as it reenacted God's passing over Israel. The Feast of Unleavened Bread commemorated their liberation from slavery as it reenacted their hasty departure from Egypt. The, 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 the Exodus was to be a living reality for those who experienced it and for future generations. The, the, the new festival was to shape their identity. You should be able to figure out how that relates to us. We, we still commemorate Passover today, we celebrate. The Passover. Luke tells us about one particular Passover in his gospel. In Luke 22 verses 7 and 8 we read, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. Luke mentions the Passover six times in his description of the Last Supper. He portrays the Lord's Supper as the fulfilment of the Passover meal. Just as the redemption of Jesus, the Passover lamb is the fulfilment of the exodus, so the Lord's Supper is the fulfilment of the feasts of Passover and unleavened bread. And just as the Passover shaped the identity of the Israelites, so the Lord's Supper shapes our identity as Christians. We not only remember the story of the cross and the resurrection, we see it. We, we enact it in the breaking of the bread and the pouring of the wine. And in that sense, we participate in it. It becomes our story, our identity, our living reality. Imagine a slave with a cruel master. Well, one day, a new man takes pity on him. He redeems him from his old master at a high price. A week later, the old master sees his former slave. He barks out commands as usual. And the slave's every instinct is to obey. But he's no longer under the control of the old master. He no longer needs to obey. He no longer should obey. He needs to remember to whom he now belongs to. He needs to remember that day of liberation when his old life passed away and his new life began. Remembering that will change everything. This is what we do every time we take communion. It helps us to remember that Jesus' body was broken and his blood poured out, also that we guilty, vile, wretched sinners might know him. Every time we take communion, we remember the new era that has come through the particular substitution of Jesus Christ. We have a new festival a feast that proclaims the Lord's death until he comes. As we approach the Lord's table this morning, we should feed on Christ and renew our commitment to him. We eat the Lord's Supper for our nourishment. Whenever we take communion, we are being fed something that is spiritually healthy for us. Through the Lord's Supper, we receive real spiritual nourishment to grow in grace. We're feeding upon Christ. Christ and the benefits of his salvation. Exodus 12 tells us about a new era that comes through a particular substitution that leads to a new festival. And as we meet together this morning, we are part of the same story that Exodus 12 recounts. We we worship the same God and this is our story, our identity, our living reality. And it's all because of Jesus and because his blood has been shed for us. Exodus is an epic story that has been retold in various different ways. The one that stands out for me is The Prince of Egypt, the animated musical drama directed by Steven Spielberg. I saw that film so much when I was a child growing up in the church family in Besbrook. There's a fascinating little anecdote about the film. In the original script, there was a line that had God saying... When I see the mark upon the doorframe. When I see the mark upon the doorframe. Religious leaders had been hired to help Spielberg with the film and they objected to this line. They said it wasn't specific enough. They insisted that the mark had to be made of blood. So the line was changed to When I see the blood on the doorposts. The, the, The shedding of blood is important and we shouldn't miss that as we read this chapter. Because when the visitor comes to us, whether it's in the silence of the night or another way. If we are marked by the blood of Christ, God will welcome us into his presence. God is no respecter of persons and one day he will judge everyone by the same standard. He doesn't care what color we are, how much money we have, where we go to school, what company we work for, or even how good we are. What matters to God is whether we have faith in the sacrifice of his Son. Those who trust in the blood of Christ will receive eternal life. The life that ends with death will start with joy in eternity. But those who do not hold on to Jesus and to his cross will be finally and fatally lost. Where do you stand this morning? And what is this chapter exposed in your heart? And if you haven't already, will you turn to Christ? Exodus 12 tells us about a new era that comes through a particular substitution that leads to a new festival. The gospel tells us the same story and shortly we'll meet to reenact that glorious story and to renew our commitment to the God who has saved us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the epic story of the Exodus. We thank you that in the same way that you passed over the sins of the people of Israel through the shedding of blood, so you have passed over our sins because we have trusted in the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. We thank you that he has had his body broken and has shed his blood also that we might know you and love you and live for you. And we pray that you would continue to be with us as we continue in your presence. Help us to see that this story is our story. And that this supper reminds us of the living reality that we have in the Lord Jesus. Continue to be with us, we pray. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.